0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Good morning, Church. I'm reading today selected verses from 1 Samuel, chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you, king. Therefore listen to the words of the Lord. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them. When they came out of Egypt, Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both men and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people. Saul came to the city of Amalek. Saul defeated the Amalekites. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul spared Agag and the best of the sheep And all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Samuel rose early to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, Saul set up a monument for himself. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from Amalekites, for the people sped the best of the sheep to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me. Samuel said, The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then do you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why do you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, And I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took off the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams, For rebellion is as sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned, Saul seized his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before Israel. Samuel said, bring Agag the king of the Amalekites. Samuel hacked Agag into pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. These are the true words of the living God.
1: Thank you so much, Michelle, for reading that for us. Well, that's a very cheerful passage to anticipate Christmas. We are continuing our journey in uh, 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 15, and uh, we're looking at uh, quite a passage uh, this king getting uh, hacked to pieces. Um, It's uh, very strong and very striking. So I would like to give you the big idea. This is what I think the big idea is in this passage and what is going on. I think in uh, simple terms, we can say the big idea of the passage is this. Sin is disobedience. Sin is disobedience. But not only is sin disobedience. Sin is disobedience. And one sin too many may have irreversible consequences. Sin is disobedience. And one sin too many may have irreversible consequences. Well, I want to make three points today. Uh, the first point is that partial obedience is disobedience. Point number one, partial obedience is disobedience. Point number two, is sin is sin, even if it's dressed up as righteousness. Partial obedience is disobedience, number one. Number two, is sin is sin, even if you dress it up as righteousness. And then the third point is there is a line. There is a line. If you cross the line, God's consequences are irreversible. So partial obedience is disobedience, number one. Number two, sin is sin, even if you dress it up as righteousness. And then number three, there is a line. If you cross it, God's consequences are irreversible. Okay, so let's look at the first point. Partial obedience is disobedience. Now, little known fact about me is I was born in a country called Zimbabwe. I was raised there for the first couple of years of my life. I took a holiday there many years later, and I turned on the evening news. remember the days of TV where people would watch the evening news. And uh, there was this big thing going on in Zimbabwe at the time. There was this notorious criminal gang working, and they'd caught these guys. Hallelujah. And uh, they had some key witnesses who were going to put these guys behind bars forever. Uh, And because this was very high profile, the witnesses had to be under the Witness Protection Programme the Witness Protection Program. Unfortunately, it wasn't that protective because the key witnesses all got taken out. This happens in Africa. So I turned on the evening news, and then the guy in charge of this Witness Protection Program said, you know, unfortunately, some bad news. You know, unfortunately, we've lost a couple of key witnesses in this case. But I want to assure you, he says, I want to assure you, and this is a direct quote, our Witness Protection Program is 100% safe. I'm like, dude, do the math. You've, you've lost a couple. Like, it can't possibly be 100%. And so that is a big metaphor for what's going on here. You can think you're at 100%, but if you're not that obedient along the way, you've made a few mistakes along the way, you can't then claim 100%. And this is under the heading of partial obedience is actually disobedience. Okay, so let's begin in verse uh, 1 to 3. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king, therefore listen to the words of the Lord. There's an instruction or a command from God. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all, it's a big word, all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Those are the instructions, those are God's requirements. Now that's quite a thing to wrap our minds around. Quick backstory, some of you might not be aware of some of the history of Israel. God rescued them out of Egypt, and as he was bringing them out of Egypt, they had to pass through some territory, and the Amalekites attacked them and caused a lot of trouble. And God says, you have opposed me, that's the definition of evil, is when you oppose God, I have got a score to settle with you, the people of Amalek. Amalek. So much so that it's actually written into the Mosaic law, the law of God. And you can check me up in Deuteronomy chapter 25. It's actually part of the law that the people of Amalek should be blotted out under heaven. Because they oppose God. The definition of evil is when you oppose God. And there are consequences when you oppose God. And so it's part of God's law that these people should be blotted out. This is the world according to God. Because these people were rebellious against God, the people of Amalek. And the instruction to Saul is, okay, now that the time has come, I want you to go and finish my justice with these people of Amalek. That's the job that you have to do for me, Saul. Well, um, as the story goes, Saul partially complies with this instruction. There's partial compliance, partial obedience. Verse 4, so Samuel, sorry, at least Saul summoned the people. Saul came to the city of Amalek. Saul defeated the Amalekites. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. So immediately we lose our 100% statistic. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul spared Agag and the best of the sheep. And all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. There we go. There's the disobedience. He should destroy all, but he didn't. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So let's have a quick look at Saul's Saul's scorecard of obedience. There's some obedience, and there's some disobedience. Not too bad in one part of the instruction, killing all the people. Pretty terrible when it came to the king. Didn't get rid of him. You really should have. Instead of complying, Saul uh, paraded the king as a trophy. And instead of wiping out all the, the cattle, uh, Saul keeps the best for himself. So he's one out of three. One out of three. And the point is this. Obedience plus disobedience equals disobedience. Sorry to uh, bring maths into this, but obedience plus disobedience equals disobedience. Let me give you a couple of examples from everyday life. I only get drunk once a week. Okay, not me. I'm just making this up. (laughs) But if you had to say to me, I only get drunk once a week. I'm six out of seven. I only get drunk on Fridays. I'm obedient on the whole. Obedience plus disobedience amounts to disobedience. I only sleep with my girlfriend on Saturday nights. I'm six from seven. I only get angry every fortnight. I really lose it at home. But 13 out of 14 is not bad. I only do porn once a fortnight. 13 out of 14 is not bad. No, obedience plus disobedience equals disobedience. Maybe we can ask the question, why was Saul partially obedient? Why was Saul partially obedient? Well, I'll give you three quick answers. Answer number one, what causes partial obedience? What causes partial disobedience? It's the same idea. Well, he was partially obedient because it was in his interests to be partially disobedient. He was going to score a whole lot of the cattle, the best cattle, Uh, In modern-day terms, that's cash. It's economic value. So I'll devote the the lesser things to God, but then the best things I'm going to keep for myself. He was self-interested. We catch him in verse 12, building a monument to himself for this great victory which God has given him. It was all about Saul. Numero uno, number one, looking after him. So long as I'm okay, then I will... My obedience stops at the point that it stops being in my interest, is how he rumbles. Number one, he's self-consumed. Number two, he's got a genuine, certified, clear-cut case of the fear of man. He even says that in verse 24, when uh, all said and done, and it all comes out, and the verdict is had by Samuel. He actually admits in verse 24, actually, I've got a problem with the fear of man. I'm, I'm selfish, number one, and I'm actually I'm, I'm afraid of going against other people. I just didn't have the courage to do what God wanted me to do because I was afraid of how I was going to look. But then the real issue, I think, or I want to suggest to you this morning, is number three, why is he partially obedient and partially disobedient? It is because he's lost connection with the heart of God. He's lost connection with the heart of God. In verse 10 and 11, we read, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king. This is a motion from God. I regret that I've done this. For he has turned back from following me. Do you know why I regret? He stopped following me. He's lost connection with me. With me, says God. And what flows, it's twofold. He's lost connection with me and he's not performed my commandments. You see, the one leads to the other. When you lose connection with God, you start disobeying the commandments. And so uh, some learnings from this are uh, people who lose connection with God become very technical about God's laws and requirements and rules and instructions. And such people, when you lose connection with God, you become very technical and you start looking at the letter of the law and not so much the spirit of the law. You're overly focused on, like, the precise, you know, what can I do, what can't I do, push it to the limit, and if you're a technician with the law, and if you're there with the letter of the law, then you can always find an exception, because that's how strict legalists work. If you comply with the letter of the law, there's always an exception, there's always a reason why you shouldn't have to comply with this or that, but people whose hearts are still connected with God are not... Complied to the letter of the law. They're not even compliant with the spirit of the law. What they are after is looking at things through the lens of the heart of the lawgiver. They begin with the heart of the lawgiver, then they work out from there what it is that he is wanting and requiring. And so to put it in a nutshell, those after God's heart focus on God's heart. Sin is not only the breaking of God's law, but God's heart. So that's where the problem is with Saul. He's lost connection with God himself, with the person, the person of God. And what flows is this very technical approach to the law. I'll give you an example in my life. uh, Every now and again, you get sums of money, which are not your salary, and then you've got to figure out how do you worship and honor God with this money. And uh, at one point in my life, God caught me out being very technical about, like, what is exactly the letter of the law, not quite the spirit of the law, and you can get yourself into strict compliance. And I felt God slap me across the face, figuratively, and say, uh, why don't you just think of it more in terms of what's pleasing to me? What's pleasing to me? Doesn't mean laws are, are a fudge or a wash. But at least begin with God's heart, and then work out what it is that He is asking. And to remind you, sin is disobedience. Sin is disobedience. But in the course of figuring out what obedience is, don't lose God's heart like Saul did, because you will end up then being disobedient. Okay. Point number two is sin is sin, even when dressed up as righteousness. Sin is sin, even when dressed up as righteousness. Now, you've all heard the story of the emperor's new clothes, and if you haven't, let me retell it. So... A merchant comes to the emperor, he's a little fat, and uh, says to the emperor, hey, I can sell you these really new clothes, which are invisible, uh, but they're going to cost you a lot of gold. He cons the emperor, and then uh, the emperor walks around in his underwear with these new clothes and inverted commas on, which are invisible. You know the story, right? Someone give me a nod. Okay, good. And then... The emperor convinces his whole court that he's actually wearing clothes. And everyone kind of goes on with it without really pointing it out. Until one day there's a parade through the city and everyone's clapping at the emperor in his new clothes. And then one little boy from the crowd says, he's got no clothes on. And this is what happens with sin. Is sometimes when we dress ourselves up, when we in our true state have no clothes on, metaphorically. We hate being in that position because it doesn't look too good, does it? So we try and convince everyone around us that what we're doing is not actually sin. And we get into this emperor's new clothes phenomenon. So uh, this happens here with Saul. Let's read uh, verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. So he starts off with this very flowery religious language Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Can okay, We all agree he's been in disobedience, right? But here he is saying, I've complied. It's not true. And then verse 14, because Samuel in the background is like, meh, nah. And Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, For the people spared the best of the sheep to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. And then he says, hey, you know, actually this is a great idea. I've complied, and the reason why I've complied and gone above compliance, I've even given God a bonus, is because we're going to use all these best of the sheep, and we're going to sacrifice them to God, and we're going to be extra holy. And that's, I've just been caught out now. And this is embarrassing, but I'm going to make it look like we're doing something very holy for God. And I want you to see me, Samuel, as a holy guy, not as someone who's got no clothes on. That's kind of what's going on. So, I would now like to demonstrate this. I hope. So, can you read this at the back? Okay, no clothes. Uh, mirror. Mirror. So I can see myself. Now, if I really look, okay, assume i got my glasses on. If I look in the mirror, I can see that I have, as the sign says. But then what I want to do is masquerade as someone righteous. So here I go, and I hold up my mirror, and I look at myself. Okay, pretend the sign is still there. I hold up, and what is the thing I'm going to focus on? I'm going to focus on me being righteous, all the good stuff. It's the masquerade. It's the mask. But in truth, what are you all seeing? No clothes. Right? So that is what is going on here in verse 13 to 15. And everyone around him is playing the game of pretend. And isn't this true in your life? That when you get into sin, you start convincing yourself that you're not really in sin. And that your partial obedience is actually obedience. You just have to think about it carefully. And you start arguing your case. And you start convincing the people around you, and you start creating this little dysfunction syndrome system in your house or in your office or wherever you are, and everyone starts playing the game of, like, it looks like sin, it smells like sin, but it's not sin. And you start getting confused until the little boy in the crowd goes, he's got no clothes on. Well, that little boy was uh, Samuel, verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Sometimes someone has to come to you and says, say to you, stop. I'll tell you, and then reality has got to strike. Stop your little game, your charade, your masquerade. Stop, and let me tell you what the Lord says. Verse 17, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners of the Amalekites Fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Imagine confronting your boss, the CEO of a large corporation, about something they're doing wrong. But this is not a boss who can fire you. This is a boss who can cut off your head. That's the courage of Samuel. What do we learn? Even the highest person in the organization is not above confrontation of sin. Well, you would think Saul would fall to his knees and go, Games up, you got me. It's true. This is a masquerade. The real truth is something different, but listen to what he says. Verse 20 and 21, Saul still won't look at himself. Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. And then, conveniently, because this is what you do when you're caught out of the sin, you throw someone else under the bus. But the people took the spoil. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the wicked people around me that are doing this, and not me, Samuel the best of the things devoted to destruction, and they did it honorably righteously to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. He still can't see it. He still can't see it. Here's the principle. Sin has a kind of blindness where the optical nerve convinces you that you can see. And the sin that you see is not sin. Sin is a kind of blindness where the optical nerve convinces you that you can see, and the sin that you can see is not sin. So, Samuel has to go there a second time. Verse 22, Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey, obey. Disobedience is sin, but to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen, to listen to God's voice and to do what he says is better than the fat of rams. You see, Saul is trying to control God by doing what he wants, but then offering some good stuff on the side to make it all okay. It's an offset mentality. I'll live in disobedience, but if I do enough obedience, then one will offset the other, and then we'll all be okay. Samuel's going, that's a completely wrong way to think about it. You can't disobey and then just try and do some good stuff to get yourself out of sin or disobedience. And then, chillingly, we get to verse 23 for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Let me decode that. Partial obedience and losing connection with God is like worshiping at an altar of demons. That's what he's saying. Partial obedience, losing connection with God and living how you want, well that's tantamount to worshipping at an altar of demons. Very strong. Very strong. Conclusion, last bit of verse 23, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, because you've been disobedient, he has also rejected you from being king. It's not the greatest message in the lead up to Christmas, cheerfulness, but it is the word of God. And we're not going to shy from it. We're going to look it straight in the eye. Okay, point number one, partial obedience is disobedience. Point number two, sin is sin, even if you dress it up, is righteousness. Point number three, there is a line, and if you cross it, God's consequences are irreversible. Well, the penny slowly starts to drop, and then panic sets in with Saul. Oh no, I'm caught out. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice, didn't obey the voice of God. He's kind of admitting it, but he's really, not really repenting. He's really saying, uh, I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong enough to be wrong. Have you ever said that? I admit I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong enough to be wrong. It's like, what? Well, you are or you aren't. Which one is it? Because what happens uh, in verse 25, while he's making this big repentance, he uh, says to Samuel, he says, oh, Samuel, would you mind just holding the carpet up for me while we just sweep it all under? Because in verse 25, he says, now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. I just want to move on from this. Verse 26, and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. It's like uh, the girlfriend who says to the boyfriend, you've been drinking one too many times. This is it. We're done. That's what uh, Samuel is saying to Saul. Saul. You're not really repenting. It's in your interest. You're just trying to look good in the eyes of people. You're trying to be honored in the sight of uh, Israel. Uh, you're not really saying sorry. You just, you're sorry that you got caught. That's what's going on. That uh, is what's going on. Verse 27, as Saul turned, Saul seized, sorry, as Samuel turned, Saul seized his robe and at all, he's so desperate. Please don't take my kingdom away from me. Please. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He's not really sorry. Samuel said to him, the Lord has, turned, has torn the kingdom from you this day and has given it to a neighbor. He's sorry that he got caught. And uh, to make this point, I'd like to quote the uh, modern prophet of the 21st century. Wayla Swift, I mean Taylor Swift, the song, uh, You're Not Sorry, all this time I was wasting hoping you would come around, I've been given our chances every time, and all you do is let me down, and it's taken me this long, baby, but I figured you out, and you're thinking we'll be fine again, but not this time around, you don't have to call anymore, I won't pick up the phone, this is the last straw, don't want to hurt anymore, and you can tell me that you're sorry, but I don't believe you, baby, like I did before, you're not sorry, No, 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 no. (laughs) And then Samuel says the decision is made. Verse twenty nine, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret God's made his judgment, the kingdom is lost, he's rejected you as king I've told you that twice God's rejected you as king the decision will not be overturned or moved there is a line and if you are once in too many and you cross that line then God is firm is what is being said there but you might say, well, God regretted making Saul king, but now it says that God did not, does not regret. So isn't that an internal contradiction? Well, uh, it's like this. You hire somebody, and then the guy's performance is terrible, and you end up firing him, and then you're having a beer with your buddy, and your buddy says, hey, you know, tell me about that, and you say, I totally regret hiring that guy. I do not regret firing him. It's like that, what's going on here. Although it's a little stronger in the Hebrew, I have no regret is a statement of finality. God is saying that one is irreversible. Saul has lost his ministry. Saul has lost his ministry. Saul has lost his work. I'm rejecting him as king. I'm rejecting him as the king. I I regret him being king in the first place. I do not regret taking the kingdom away from him. That's basically what's happening there. Well, Saul continues to uh, act in this kind of fake repentance. Verse 30. Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before Israel. See, all he wants is number one, just so that I look good in the eyes of everyone, can we just move past this? It's very sad. He has a man who can't repent, he has a man who can't be told the truth when the truth is told to him, he has a man who wants everything around him to suit the narrative that he is spinning. And then, you know, things just get more cheerful in verse 32. Samuel said, bring out Agag. Verse 33, Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord. Whoa. That is irreversible justice. That's the point of the passage. Sinner's disobedience. The Amalekites were disobedient. Saul was disobedient. You crossed the line at some point. If God pronounces a sentence on you, that thing is irreversible. For Saul, it's irreversible. You'll never get the kingdom back. It's taken away from you. For Agag, your life. That's it. Time is up. Okay, how do we make sense of this as New Testament Christians? Well, you need to know that as firm and as just as God is, He is as loving and as gracious sin is disobedience against him sin is losing connection with god himself it's all about god it's all about god and so when we sin it's not just breaking some moral code in the universe out there it's actually a personal wrong against a personal god who takes we reject him he doesn't reject us we reject him and for truth to remain he must reject our rejection of him and f- that is what we call justice And ultimately, when we sin against God and all of humanity, all of us, every single person has rejected God, has been in rebellion against Him, and the just consequence to that is actual total destruction and why part of that sin? It must be. Otherwise, God ceases to be God, and truth ceases to be truth, and righteousness ceases to be righteousness. It is the basic principle of justice in the universe. And yet amazingly, because the Lord is slow to anger and abounds in kindness and grace and compassion, He wants to love you and save you. And so what He did was He came down so that all of your sin could be put on Him, so that He could go to the cross and suffer the ultimate punishment of justice on Him. He came down for you, even though you had rejected Him. He came down to accept you so that your sin could be on Him. So that, as it were, you could be on the cross with Him, that your sin might be punished in Him. He has done it for you. That is the message of Christianity. He loves you. He wants to save you. It's like, uh, instead of Agag getting hacked to pieces, Agag being you, Samuel brings his own son. That would be the equivalent. To say, actually, let me put the sin of Agag on my own son. And for God to kill his own son is just an unthinkable thing. And yet he's done that for you. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because the king came down to earth to have all the punishment put on him. Because his justice is irreversible. And so if you are not in Jesus, then you're in a very precarious place. Because his justice, the consequence, is irreversible. But if you are in Christ, if you you put your faith in the fact that he can die for your sin, and you repent of your sin, unlike Saul, but you properly repent of it, then the irreversibility principle works in your favor, because the punishment has been paid, it's been declared, it's been done, it's irreversible. He won't regret it, he won't change his mind. If your sins have been punished in Jesus, that's irreversible, they've been punished in Jesus. And you can be saved. And you can have restoration with God because of what Jesus has done for you. The principle of irreversibility is horrifying if you're on the wrong side of it. It's very comforting if you're on the right side of it. This is the big message of today. All of us have sinned. All of us have lapsed into disobedience. All of us have got these elements of partial obedience, which is tantamount to disobedience. That's the story of all of our lives. So why don't we repent of it? And if you are not in Christ today, if you are exploring the faith, then the invitation and the offer to you, the mercy and the kindness of Jesus, is that you can step into me. You can step into Jesus. And that you can have your sins paid for in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? That's Christmas. Christmas. But then there are people like Saul. So let me talk to those who are Christians. If you are a Christian, but you have some habit or pattern of sin, Saul has this pattern of sin in 1 Samuel of doing things, offering sacrifices, calling the shots, not submitting to God. He's got this habit and this pattern. It can come to a point where God says, Okay, I need, I'm need. i going to take something away from you. I'm going to take some ministry away from you. It, you can get to that point. You can get to that point, and you can lose some ministry or some work which he's asked of you. But if you can hear that today, and if your heart is soft to that, you're still in time. You're still okay. You can make right. You can repent. When someone points and says, hey, you've got no clothes on, you can say, it's true. Uh, Please clothe me, and then you put on the clothes of Christ. So to wrap this up, I'm well over time, but uh, your Christmas gift to me is uh, a little bit of grace. (laughs) that I can ask you four uh, application questions. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. Application number one. Where are you partially obedient, but pretending you are fully obedient? Where are you partially obedient, but pretending you are fully obedient? Can I ask you to sort that out today? Question two. Where are you breaking God's heart? Question three, do you have a pattern of sin? What work for God can you lose if you sin one time too many? Do you have a pattern of sin? What work for God can you lose if you sin one time too many? And then uh, for the folks um, who are not yet in the faith, who haven't yet put their faith in Christ, my question to you is, do you fear total extermination as an act of justice? And do you... Want to put your faith in Christ, to escape the execution that Agag had. Christ has done it for you. Amen. Shall we pray?
0: You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.